Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. We apologize for uh, the downright cockiness of the Shikalimi play-by-play announcer going into the game on Friday night. You know what I'm talking about, Matt. It's- yes, I do. As opposed to the conservative, I've been there, done that, analyst and the Chief Dave Ritchie. That's exactly right. Seals broadcast was was great. Uh, Chief was great. But you just can't swagger in and yell, we're going to win tonight. You just can't do that. I mean, I I think it's a bad look. He might as well have been paired up with Jonathan Vilma yesterday. I'm sorry. I shouldn't do that to the the suit. That's a big insult. (laughs) I Ooh, shouldn't do that. That, that was a low that, blow. Even I'll defend the suit on that one. <laughs> Seriously, you need to recruit Jonathan Velma to your broadcast class. Because <sighs> that was god-awful yesterday. <laughs> well. Uh, look at the, the game itself in a moment. First, our play-by-play call of the day. What a day for Chase Claypool. Here's the snap. He throws it down the field. Oh, that is Chase Claypool into the end zone for a Pittsburgh Steelers touchdown. Wide open from 35 out, and Ben kind of knew it. Yeah. (laughs) The uh, call of Bill Hillgrove, son from Tunch Ilkin. At the end, Oho was from Craig Wolfley. All on 100.9 the Valley yesterday. Claypool caught three touchdown passes, ran for another. The Notre Dame pick looked golden yesterday, didn't he? And the uh, Steelers won it. But not without a fight from the Eagles. The Eagle offense resurrected itself yesterday. Gave Matt moments of hope. Yes, it did. And then, like Friday night, when the team from the Bronx played, hope dashed. Yeah. Yeah. Tough weekend. And, and for Major League Baseball, with it went the ratings. All right. So let's uh, bring in Matt Leon joining us now from Philadelphia, sir. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you. The Eagles found a little bit of offense yesterday. What were your thoughts watching that game? Oh, the offense. It was fun to watch the offense actually put things together. And. It was this crazy thing. This kid, Travis Fulgham, they threw him the ball, and he caught it. Huh? It was really what? impressive. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Can you back up on that? Take yeah. me through that again. <laughs> yeah, it, it was amazing. Over and over again. It was almost like they practiced it. No. But all kidding aside, yeah. you know, Wentz, I thought, played well, had a couple of picks. One was a timing route that got screwed up, and the other was basically a punt at the end of the game, which sure. – uh, you know, just looks bad in the statistics column. Uh, I thought he played well. Uh, he got the big run from Miles Sanders for the touchdown. Other than that, he was really non-existent. I think he had it was a 74-yard run. I think he right. only had like six yards on his other ten carries. Right. Uh, you know, but if you want the the headline out of this game is, you know, what did I see? It was the first time an Eagles receiver had 
10 catches or more and 150 yards or more in a game since Jeremy Macklin back in 2014. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's a that's a while ago, especially in today's game. You know, with uh, with how wide open it is. So. Is the kid a flash in the pan? Well, this is two straight games. Now he's made big yeah. plays in big spots. Uh, I think you, you kind of have to lean on that. Obviously, defenses are going to adjust. Uh, but the, offensively, I thought there was a lot to take out of that game. But then the defense was terrible, and this is what happens to mediocre to bad teams. They get one thing figured out, something else starts taking on water. They they yeah. you know plug a cork in this hole, something else starts to leak, and I think that's what uh, what you see with this team. I mean, the defense was terrible yesterday. You know, it, I mean, granted they're playing a you know Hall of Fame quarterback and a, a lot of talented skill guys, but uh, it was downright embarrassing on third down. I mean, you know, Ben Roethlisberger was thirteen for thirteen on third down. Yeah, and that, that's absurd. Yeah, like I don't think I could do that in the backyard. Like that's you know, and they they keep getting in these mismatches where you got a guy like Nate Gary chasing a kid who scored three touchdowns already. Like it just doesn't, you know. I know the other team practices too, and they're working to get those mismatches. But my goodness, like at a certain point, don't you just take two guys and say follow eleven everywhere he goes, and we'll figure out the rest? Right. No. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. Yeah, I, so, didn't, I didn't get it uh, seeing that part of it, but I'll, I'll say this about the offense: if uh, if I were an e- on the Eagles side going into this, my biggest concern would be, geez, look at Watt, Dupree, Hayward. I thought the offensive line held up pretty well. Yeah, all things considered, and the injuries they've had, and they lost Lane Johnson at a certain point. Yep. Uh, the offensive line was pretty good. I think they struggled run blocking, which I think played into a lot of Miles Sanders uh, problems, but sure. now for the most part, I think what the potential was uh, given the, you know, where the offense offensive line is because of injuries and everything and who they were facing, it could have been a lot, a lot worse. Yeah, it could have. The def- I'll say this. Uh, this doesn't figure into me as to the terms of the final score, but I get concerned when I'm, in terms of the officiating of the game. When I'm watching the game early, the deep ball is thrown. Yes, Slay's there, whatever. Maybe there's a little hand fighting, not really egregious. And the ball's thrown out of bounds. It's not even a catchable ball, and they gave, it was a pass interference penalty. I thought that was a horrible call. No, I agree. I think yesterday, you know, was not a good day for the officials. And, uh, you know, specifically for a play like that, you get the feeling the official is looking to throw the flag and just waiting for something to give him the impetus to do it. Uh, you know, and that's the thing. I don't know how they're ever going to fix pass interference because they, I know. you know, I know, it seems like reviewing it didn't help. Uh, should they go more to the college route and it's a 15-yard penalty instead of uh, a spot foul? I don't. I don't know what the answer is other than just I, I don't. You know, get younger, better officials. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, my issue with that is, it's to me, this is what pass interference is. Did it keep you, prevent you from getting a realistic shot at catching the ball? Right. If the ball is thrown and there's, I mean, there's no way in the planet he's getting to that ball. That ball's out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not. It can't be yeah. pass interference. You didn't. You didn't interfere with him from doing anything. Yeah, and that's where you would hope that somebody that maybe has a better look at it 
uh, one of the right. officials. There'll be it. more. Yeah, like I feel like a lot in the NFL. Once the flag is thrown, for the most part, it is very difficult to. They have a hard time saying, "Now we screwed up. Never mind." Right. And I know. I think there should be more of that, specifically on stuff like that. That's judgment calls. Uh, where maybe somebody has a better look at it. But, you know, there were several calls and non-calls, and I know the game's going a million miles, and sure. they don't, but, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was really bad yesterday, and we seem to say that a lot. But, you know, I especially the pass interference, it's just such a game changer where a quarterback can just throw the ball up in the air and – End up getting you know a forty fifty yard penalty yard gain uh, based on the opinion of one person. So, right. but I agree with you. It was a terrible call, and it set him up, and uh, it kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. And again, I'm not saying it has anything to do with the outcome. I just want to talk about the call. I just I yeah. sit there and look like that is not even that's not catchable. Right. Okay. You're not interfering with him from anything. You're interfering if, with him from being incomplete, which is was going to be anyway. All right. And you, you would like to see more. I would like to see more accountability as far as like a, a Monday morning review from the league or from a neutral third party reviewing these calls and, and who got it right, who got it wrong. What does the Dak Prescott injury do to the NFC East, in your opinion? Uh, it makes it an even worse division. Um, I think. I think. Right prior to that injury, you were looking at Dallas as the best team, talent-wise. I know their defense is terrible, but their ability to score pretty much thirty-five, forty points on demand yeah. uh, means they can probably, over the course of a season outrun a lot of their defensive problems just by winning shootouts. Now, you don't win Super Bowls that way. Eventually, it comes back. It comes up to bite you, but especially in this division. You know, Andy Dalton's an NFL quarterback. I mean, he's not a superstar, but he's. this is not somebody they're throwing in there where all of a sudden they're going to average 12 a game. Uh, it's not Kyle Allen. Right. Well, I think one thing with Andy, with Andy Dalton is We've seen a lot of these games where Dallas is getting down like 40 to 14 and comes roaring back. I don't think they're going to have that ability anymore to just put up these big, you know, these giant chunk plays. Um, But, I mean, Andy Dalton, uh, I think right now he's he's inheriting a better set of receivers than he had at any point in Cincinnati top to bottom. I mean, obviously he had green in Cincinnati, but, you know, you're talking he can go two, three, four deep here. so I think it hurts. I think it maybe elevates the Eagles to 1A in this division with Dallas. That's not They're both fatally flawed, but I would be stunned if the winner of the NFC East isn't the Eagles or the Cowboys when, it, when it's all said and done. You are not fatally flawed. We appreciate your time very much. Always a pleasure, my friend. Matt Leon in Philadelphia. All right. Hey, can I do one quick shout-out here? Alex Smith. I know they didn't win, but he played. He took hits. It is so great to see him overcome all of this and rekindle his career. Absolutely. 
That was awesome yesterday. Didn't win. Doesn't have much of a team around him. But Alex Smith. The guts and the perseverance it took to get back. The work it took to get back. Amazing. And now for someone to Dak to look up to now in his recovery. And Dak will do it. Dak's got a, you can tell Dak Prescott has a great work ethic. You can tell. Smart player, great work ethic. Okay. Uh, Vanderbilt's been having problems with COVID all season long. They feel that they're not going to have enough players to field the team this weekend. Because uh, I think the number in the SEC is 53. They think they're either going to be right around there or just below it. So the Missouri-Vanderbilt game has been pushed back from this weekend to December 12th. It's the first game in the SEC to be a postponement casualty. No Broncos-Patriots tonight. That means no Fowler, no Herb Street. They were going to do the game at 5. You notice that the NFL, unlike the governor, did not want a game starting during this showtime. You notice that? Yes. The NFL, the NFL picked five. The governor keeps picking 330. Okay. No offense. The NFL gets it. Back with more moment. <laughs> Can't interrupt the Steve Jones show. Ooh, here on News Radio 1070 WK. Okay. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. That shit let me highlight from this season. Um, you know what? I have I'd have to ask Mark. I don't know. <laughs> just asking. Right? Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I have I'd have to check on that. I'm just just asking. Just asking. <laughs> sure, it's sure it's fun. Who they have next? Uh, at Jersey Shore, which is going to be another tough one. Ooh, yeah. Suit is despised in Jersey Shore. Yes, he is. Years he, ago, when years ago he did like he can't. He was on this show and he put that program down. Jersey Shore had lost since. <laughs> basically, yeah. Basically, yes. That's exactly what happened. No, that's not true. Might be. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jim brought up a great email from San Francisco about scoring. And again, I go back to 
Number one, obviously, the amount of tackling that's done in the preseason, and this includes the NFL as well. There's been way more scoring in the NFL this year. And part of it is there were no preseason games, so the first hitting you really had where you like you had to hit and make it count was in the first game. You're seeing that in college football right now. But also, I'm seeing a lot of really bad angles. In other words, if you're not tackling well, guess what? If you're not tackling well, what do you do? You get over-anxious to try to get there. And in the process of being over-anxious and trying to get there, you're taking a bad angle, and all of a sudden you're out of the play. Um, quarterbacks obviously have the ability to run. You know, Kellen Mond, for the most part, is a pocket passer, so is Kyle Trask, but they can run just enough. Then you're watching the Ole Miss game. Ole Miss's quarterback can move and make plays. Unfortunately, it goes to the NFL, and we saw what happened with Dak Prescott. Um, that's that's always going to be moving forward. The problem in the with for the NFL with running quarterbacks for Lamar Jackson, every time he runs the ball, you have that lump in your throat saying, "Okay, he'll get up from this." Right? That's why I pointed out after the opening week of the season, Kyler Murray ran for over 100 yards against the Niners. He was tackled one time in the game. One. He either got out of bounds or the old baseball player, the old first-round pick of the Oakland A's, can hook slide with the best of them. And by his ability to hook slide, what he does is he takes a direct hit away from the opposing team. Russell Wilson's the same way. So I'm seeing mediocre tackling because they're you know you you try to do as much as you can in the preseason, but there's only so much you can do. There's only really so much you're allowed to do, and I think that is in turn leading to bad angles. You get over anxious, and I think you're seeing a lot of over anxious defenders right now either taking bad angles, and then there's the broken coverages. That's the part I don't get. You're practicing coverages all the time. And those are the three factors I see. Because the SEC, I mean, the SEC, I expect to play good defense. The Big 12, I don't. So I expect Texas A&M in a 41-38 game with Florida. That's, that's the SEC. I expect... Kansas State to rack up points in a game. I expect Texas Tech to rack up points in a game. I expect Texas and Oklahoma to be a game with some points. Now, that was, what, 31-31 at the end of regulation? So that really is normal. That's a normal game. They, the score ended up being what it was because of four overtimes. The Yankees still in the playoffs? Checking <laughs> I'm scrolling through here trying to find the score of the game. No? Not yeah, l- let's say I, I hate this ALCS. Why? These are the two better teams. <laughs> yeah, the Cheaters million, versus the Rays. $36 million. Well, he pitched no well. Just uh, Chapman decided not to pitch well in the biggest game of the year. Not the first time. You know what, Ch- you want to know what Chapman's problem is? Okay. 
Chapman's problem has always been simple, really simple. He throws 100-101, correct? Which is just mind-boggling, right? But you know, when you watch him pitch, he does not have a lot of movement on his pitches. A major league hitter can hit 101 when the pitch is straight. Rousseau hit the home run the other night. That pitch had no movement to it. I remember a couple of years ago, 2018, Rafael Devers won a game in the ninth inning. He's a left-handed hitter. He went to left center field. He took a pitch at 102 and drove it over the fence. Well, then you watch the pitch. The pitch had no movement on it. Chapman has a habit sometimes of, yeah, throwing and overpowering 101-102, but it's straight. There's so many elements that make a major league hitter special. And one of them is they could take 101-102 and it's straight and hit it out. I know you you don't like the Rays, but Manuel Margot just hit a three-run homer. They're up 3 nothing first inning on the Astros. Well, you know what, though? They were my World Series pick, to be objective. As I think they're the best team in baseball, and they're showing it right now. So you didn't pick the Eagles the other day. In reality, you didn't pick your Yankees either. In fact, I Is said it... Rays in five. While being correct, your loyalty is really an issue. You're probably telling everybody right now the suit should host the show with you. (laughs) Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto Home Life Business. They'll do everything they can to make sure not only you're completely insured, but also find you the best price possible. Bundles, whatever it may be, all at Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Very pleased to be back. Uh, bring back uh, Scott Lauber from the Philadelphia Inquirer to the show. Scott, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Sure, Steve. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, so what's what are you reading from John Middleton as to how he views Andy McPhail and all of this? It's a great question, Steve, and it's something that a lot of people around baseball uh, in the Phillies organization and outside are, are wondering. Um, I've talked to a lot of people in the last, what has it been now, uh, close to 10 days, uh, 8 or 10 days since, uh, John Middleton made the announcement about Matt Klintak not coming back as general manager next year. And a lot of people have, you know, the same the same question, you know, how does Andy McPhail fit into all of this? Uh, is he going to come back in his capacity as team president? Uh, and what I've been able to kind of find out um, is that, look, Andy McPhail has one year left on his contract. Uh, it expires at the end of next season. He will be 68 at that point. Uh, there is, uh, he has already had some conversation with John Middleton about what comes next for him, uh, whether it's retirement, whether it's continuing on as team president, or whether it's uh, staying on in some sort of advisory capacity. I think that it's probably going to be his last year as team president. 
Uh, it's just sort of the way things are trending. And that raises the question of how involved should he be in um, hiring the next general manager and or president of baseball operations. And there are a lot of people who believe that Middleton would like for Andy McPhail to either um, to either uh, step down from the presidency of the Phillies and, and, and stay on as an advisor, or at least uh, at least divorce himself from the baseball side of things for the next year so that they could move forward with hiring not only a general manager but a president of baseball operations who would oversee that general manager, kind of like McPhail uh, was supposed to do with Matt Klintak. He wound up taking a much more hands-off approach, um, and we can talk about that. But, um, you know, it's, it's, there is a question of how involved he will be and how involved he should be um, if, in fact, it's going to be his last year as team president. All right, say Andy McPhail stays on. Let's talk about from his point of view. How involved does he want to be? It may not be his choice, but how involved does he want to be? It's a it's a great question. I can't answer it because we haven't talked to him since March. Yeah, I mean March was the last time he came before uh, reporters, and I I wonder whether it's telling at all that we haven't heard from him yet since the Clintac announcement. Uh, whether that is an indication that maybe Middleton and McPhail are behind the scenes talking about um, what comes next, uh, and maybe that's why he hasn't come forth and and talked to uh, the public, the, the media, and you know, through the, through the media, the fans, about what comes next. Maybe they're trying to figure that out um, still. But, you know, it's interesting. I mean, he, he took the job in, in 2015, and uh, at the time, I believe John Middleton is on record as saying that McPhail would be, um, you know, the president of the Phillies with a focus on baseball. And it turned out that after they hired Matt Klintak, um McPhail took like I said, a bit of a hands-off approach, and he is on record as saying he did not want to micromanage Klentak. He he wanted to let Klentak grow into that role, and, you know, maybe in not wanting to micromanage uh, his young general manager, maybe he gave him a little bit too much autonomy and uh, and not enough oversight, and, and maybe that's a, one of the reasons why, um, you know, they, they haven't been more successful. So, um, it's it's definitely a great question, and I, and I know people around the game and within the Phillies organization are wondering exactly that. If he's going to be involved, how how much will he be involved? Will it be more or less than he has been in the last few years? In your opinion, Scott, how difficult are decisions being made right now considering it was a 60-game schedule? Now, conversely, Many teams made the playoffs this year, a record number 16. I think even the Boyertown Bears had a shot at some point, it felt like. Uh, but but when when you look at how difficult are decisions to be made when it's a 60-game season, because we all know where the Nationals were after 60 games last year. Yeah, I, I think we've talked a little bit about this. I, um, yeah. I think it's extremely difficult from, from, a few, from a few standpoints. You know, from a player player evaluation standpoint it's really difficult because how do you how do you look at a 60 game season and not overestimate or underestimate what you saw in that season and you know I, I think we discussed it I mean I had a conversation about this recently with Pat Gillick and and he was saying you know you can't you can't put too much stock in what you just saw you can't ignore it either but you can't really jump to any conclusions positive or negative because 60 games is 36% of a normal season. Um, if you were, you know, the Phillies were 28 and 32. If you were 28 and 32 in a normal year, you know, you're hearing a lot of people in the clubhouse 
saying things like, ah, it's all right, we have 100 games to figure it out. And, and they'd be right about that. You know, they, they, they have 100 games to, to, to figure it out, and after that 100 more games, you get a much truer picture of how good a team was or how, how, what, what sort of direction a player was trending in. So from a player evaluation standpoint, it's really difficult. Then from a front office standpoint and deciding what you're going to do, and from an ownership standpoint and deciding what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, it's very difficult because the Phillies are one of a number of teams right now that is faced with the possibility of having to lay people off, buy people out, uh, reduce their staff. Um, They don't know what revenue is going to look like for 2021. I think John Middleton has said that for 2020, they project that they will lose substantially more than $100 million. Uh, they don't know what that's going to look like in 21. Is it going to be closer to 2019? Uh, is it going to be closer to 2020, somewhere in the middle? Um, how many fans are going to be able to attend games? You know, 40% of your revenue is tied to attendance. So there are a lot of questions, and if you can't answer any of those questions yet, and they can't, you can't really answer the question of how large your payroll is going to be. So, you know, they came off a year this year where, for luxury tax purposes, their payroll was over $207 million. It was a franchise record payroll. Um, You know, I think as we sit here right now, you'd have to say that the payroll is going to be less than that in 2021. And and what does that mean for bringing people back and filling the needs you have and and all of those things? So it's very difficult for, uh, for every team from a lot of different standpoints right now. Scott, you did a great job of anticipating where I was going to go next because my question is, what does this mean for Jacob Tyler Real Muto, a.k.a. JT? Yeah. Yeah, for him, for D.D. Gregorius, for yep. um, for anyone who's going out on the free agent market. I've asked this question to people and who've, who've studied this a lot longer than I have, and no one, no one really knows for sure what the market's going to look like. The general consensus seems to be, though, that if you're at the top of the market, if you're an elite free agent, if you're JT Real Muto, Trevor Bauer, George Springer, maybe Marcus Simeon, you know, if you are a if you are an elite elite player in this market, you're probably going to get paid. Uh, you are going to get your money. Um, you are going to get something close to what you expected going into it. Um, if you are a middle middle uh, class or a lower class free agent you're probably going to have a harder time. And that just seems to be the general guess right now. Um, but, again, it's I, we're talking about a market that's unprecedented. We've never seen you know, a pandemic take out two-thirds of a season before, and we've never seen you know, a third of a season played without fans in the stands and all of that. So it could be that it impacts everybody. Um, but generally speaking, you know, I think most people, like I said, who've studied this believe that Market trends generally, um, most market trends generally follow that formula, that if you're at the top of the market, it might take you a little bit longer, as it did for Manny Machado and Bryce Harper a couple of years ago. It took them into almost March. But if you were at the top of the market, uh, you will probably wind up getting something similar to what you expected. If you were in the middle or at the bottom, it might be a bit of a struggle. Uh, One interesting note, this is the first time in the history of baseball since the LCS was developed in 1969 when they went to four divisions, two in each league. It's the first time ever that teams facing each other in the LCS did not play each other during the regular season. 
Uh, yeah, and on the and on the flip side of that, how how weird was it that you know you had division series that were truly <laughs> division series, right? I mean, they were right. all division rival series, and those teams played each other a lot during this short season. So yeah, it's it's really weird that it worked out that way that the, that the division series round was was division rivalries, and now of course you have LCSs and even a World Series. I mean, in the, in the interleague era, there have been World Series where the World Series teams played each other at some point during the year. That mm-hmm. won't have been the case either this year. I don't, I don't, be, I don't believe that. That's well, true. I guess, I guess you could have the Rays and Braves. I mean, they probably played one another uh, yes, in they the did. East. But, um, but yeah, you know. So yeah, it's 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 really strange. It, it is really strange. There's no getting around that. Everyone knows in sports, it's copycats. Okay, if the Redskins put in counter tray under Joe Gibbs, suddenly everybody in the league's trying to run counter tray, or they're trying right. to have an H back. All right. When you look at how the Rays are built and how the Rays are managed, whether it's the GM, the personnel, the computer, whatever it may be, or Kevin Cash, do you? It's only a guess, obviously. Do you sense it's possible that some other teams look at how the Rays have done and say maybe we ought to do it that way too, instead of doling out big money? Uh, I certainly think that teams are very curious about how the Rays have done it and are studying it uh, very closely to see. Um, you know, I had somebody tell me who I respect. I had somebody tell me that you know, maybe it's in some ways it's it sounds counterintuitive, but maybe in some ways it's easier for the Rays because they know that they are out on any player who makes above a certain amount of money, so they can almost discard uh, that group of players and hone in on everybody else. And right. if you are a team with a larger payroll and you can afford more, maybe you're spending more time on the on the on the higher dollar players and less time uh sort of you know dumpster diving so to speak to kind of find the 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 players who are discarded by other teams uh who might have value to you but i I do certainly think that they are very good at that they're very good at finding value in places where other teams don't see it um there there is a reliever on that team in that bullpen named john curtis he uh he was with the phillies last year in triple a for about a month, I think, maybe a little more than a month. He had a very, very poor ERA. Uh, he was released. The Rays saw something. They signed him, and now he's a very big part of their bullpen, and he's having success. I think they're very good at finding that type of player. And, you know, maybe it's the littlest thing. You know, I mean, look, look at the, the kid, Brosso, who hit the home run to beat the Yankees. He was undrafted. Um, you know, nobody wanted him for 40 rounds of that draft that year, and he manages to surface with the Rays, and sometimes I think with them it's it's something small, like they recognize that this guy might have a really good curveball, so they sign him, and they figure out a way to accentuate what he does well, and Kevin Cash figures out a way to use that guy in the situation where he can excel, so um, it's, it's quite a formula, they do it really, really well, and uh, I definitely think that there are teams that are studying it to see... You know, maybe, maybe you know, you know, maybe there are teams out there who are saying, "All right, look, we're not going to just disregard, um, you know, higher dollar players because they, because they do." Like, you know, there should be a way of saying, like, we can afford to sign a guy that they can't afford to sign, but we should also be looking at the pool of players that they look at and trying to find the guys they find because they do it really well. That's why I'm, when I'm looking at the Philly situation, I'm seeing: Do you go the route of the Yankees? 
Or do you do what the Red Sox did because Bloom went from Tampa Bay to Boston? Now, he's only one year in, so we don't quite know what the total direction is. Or do you go somewhere in the middle? That's why I brought up the Tampa Bay thing, because I saw Bloom go from Tampa Bay to Boston. And even though they didn't play well this year, he's reshaping what they're trying to do. Right. And and look, I mean, they're not going to go. They're the Boston Red Sox. So they're not going right. to go to the extreme that the Rays Agreed. go to. You know, Agreed. eventually, Hein Bloom is going to sign a big-name player for big money because because he can. Um you know, I think this year they were they were focused on getting under the luxury tax and resetting right. their penalty and doing what they had to do, and it was painful for them. They had to trade their best player, uh, Mookie Betts, to do it. But, you know, I think in time you'll see them be, go back to being, and maybe as soon as this offseason you'll see them go back to being the Red Sox again. But, but I do think you have to do both. And, look, you know, I hate to, you know, I hate to always go back to the, the, when it was good with the Phillies in, in 2007-8-9 um, but, you know, you look at the changes that Pat Gillick made when he came in, and uh, granted, look, he inherited a core that was a talented young core of players, uh, a Rollins, mm-hmm. Utley, Howard, Hamill's core, um, which not every general manager has the luxury of inheriting. But, you know, the, the guys he, that he picked up or that he signed, um, you know, uh, players like Jason Wirth, who yes. was really off the scrap heap at the time, or J.C. Romero, who was waived mm-hmm. by the Red Sox, and uh, the Phillies brought him in, or Scott Ayer, who was a waiver trade in August of 2008. So he was very good at, fun, or 2009, I believe. So he was very good at finding some of those guys, those undervalued guys in other places, and bringing them in, and then figuring out how to use them uh, and make them successful in, in the Phillies program. And I think they need to do more of that. They need to go find those guys. As they have rebuilt this team, they have rebuilt it by throwing a lot of money at the at their problems. You know, like will go be the high bidder for Zach Wheeler and solve our top of the rotation issue. And and look, that was a very good free agent signing. Mm-hmm. Yes, it but, was. You know, the bull, but the bullpen uh, was clearly an area where they weren't creative enough, and that's one area where you have to be very creative year in and year out to build a good bullpen. Great conversation. Scott, thanks so much. Yeah. Really appreciate your insight very much. Thanks a lot for the time. Sure, Steve, anytime. Thank you. That was terrific. Scott Lover. Yeah, again, you have to decide what you want to do, and I think it is somewhere in the middle. Um, Heim Bloom with the with the Red Sox, I think you'll find he'll go to the middle. He'll do some stuff that he did with the Rays, but he'll also go out and spend some money on some free agents. The Phillies might have to go the same route. But the Phillies, Gillick did a great job in the 2000s of identifying a core group, and then he built around the core group by making good, solid decisions on, quote, the other guys. Which is what the suit refers to as broadcast partners as. It's just sad. All right. Um, you, <laughs> who are you doing the game with? The other people. All right. Back with more in a moment. <laughs> on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Purdy Insurance. <laughs> Great to have you with us on the show today. See, I wouldn't have made the Chiefs sit outside for the broadcast, would you? Absolutely not. I would give up my seat for the Chief. Um, I mean, because I actually had a spot for the TV broadcast inside. That's great. I just wouldn't have made him sit outside. I mean, 
Yeah, like like we were talking about. I mean, I think didn't the suit make the statement to me? Look, I'm high priced talent. I remember I said something like, "Well, you're high priced." <laughs> it's a line from Major League. <laughs> Dorn, you're is Dorn's high priced talent. Well, he's high priced. <laughs> well played, <laughs> Roger Dorn. Uh, Corbin Burnson actually ran into him at uh, in Nike Town in Chicago. Uh, you know what his biggest concern was? I mean, he brought it up. I didn't, but it was something called suit stalking. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I don't that know seems to be a about. common problem here. But he was, I mean, he was a great guy, you know. So, that's what we were in town for. And I said, the Big Ten basketball tournament. He goes, oh, wow. He says, so yeah. So it's fun doing games at the United Center, and I can tell you right now, it's fun doing any game. I'm just waiting to do one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Two o'clock will be the airtime. Three thirty to kick off. Penn State at Indiana on Saturday, the twenty fourth. Looks like all of Penn State's games are going to be Saturdays this season. There'll be no Friday night games. It's also going to be the first of three consecutive years where Penn State opens the season in, in conference, and all of them are on the road. They open at Indiana a week from Saturday. They open at Wisconsin next September. They open at Purdue the, the year after that. They'd never started the season with a conference game until now. Never. That's fine. As I said, the SEC, it's a mirage with them. Florida, Tennessee is like the second week, and all of a sudden you know, they try to put a, like a big game or a semi-big game every week to make you think that every week of the college football season the SEC is playing, even though the vast majority on certain weekends are not. <laughs> they really are clever about that because they only play eight conference games. Today's show has been brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market treating Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Great to have you with us here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. For nearly 100 years, Purdy Insurance has been your locally owned, family operated source for insurance products. With a staff of over 20 and partnerships with some of the industry's most trusted companies, Purdy has the experience and resources to get the job done. Whether you need personal home and auto or complex business insurance solutions, Purdy will help you navigate through the process. Call today at 570-286-5855. Or better yet, stop in their Sunbury office to see what Purdy Insurance can do for you.